Sarayim Tavim to everybody. Your permission would like to start. Hashir today is going to take us into the second chapter of Migilat Rut. For those who were here last year, we spent this year last year looking at the first chapter of Migilat Rut. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who is here. But I will tell you that I re-listened to the recording of the end of that year. And the last sentence last year was the story of Boaz and his relationship with Ruth we'll explore next year in Ritz Hashem. So, Baruch Hashem, see you later. And uh, we're back and we are able to explore the question I left at the end of last year. So we're going to look at chapter 2. You have a handout. I've put all of the sources on the page that we'll look at with translations, for the benefit of everybody. Um, I'm going to read, translate, and paraphrase, if you don't mind. If you have a, um, if you need a translation and you have a translation in your Tanakh, then so be it. You can look along in there. But I'm going to uh, translate and paraphrase rather than literal for the sake of time. Ulanomi moda le isha, ish ki borchayo mi mishpachat alimelech ushmo boaz. So, background information Noomi has a relative by the name of Boaz. We need to know that for the rest, of, for the what continues in the rest of the story. Vatomer ut amoavia el Noomi, el Chana Sade, Valakataba Shibolim, Achara Shirim Sachem Beinai. Rutamovia suggests to Nomi that she's going to go and glean in the fields. This parak includes one of the most beautiful and detailed descriptions of the mitzvah of Leket, gleaning in the fields of Israel for the poor. Leket, Shikha, and Peah, as we know, are the three mitzvot in the Torah that the Torah defines for every landowner, field owner, to leave three parts of the field for the poor. Leket, Shikhan, Peah refer to three different components. Leket, as they're gleaning the fields, as the harvesters are walking through the fields and gleaning. If they drop a stalk or two, that's Leket. Shikha, a forgotten pile, if they're, as they take the gleanings and the, uh, as they take the harvest and they make piles of the, of the wheat or the corn in the fields, and as they bring them in and they forget a pile or two, that goes to the poor, and pay out the corners of the field. Most of our discussion today is going to revolve around the mitzvah of Leket. Let me go and glean amongst the corn, the ears of corn. Ruth goes to a field, doesn't know whose field it is, she comes to the first field she finds, she goes to glean, and it happens to be that it's the field of Boaz. I'm in Pasuk Dalit. Hashem 
They have a nice greeting in the field. The sequence of Shem Hashem is the precursor to our minhag of Shalom Aleichem, Aleichem Shalom, and the reversal of the phraseology. Boaz immediately turns to his Na'ar. This keeps falling, I apologize. I'm just going to fix this. Sorry, this Moabite woman has come to this field to glean. She's been here all day. Says Boaz to Ruth, I have heard all. Uh, don't go gleaning in another, in another field. Don't go anywhere but here. You stay with me in this field. I've instructed my people not to harm you, not to touch you. And if you're thirsty, come and you'll drink and you'll eat. And she surprisingly falls on her face. Why have you gone out of your way to recognize me in, in this way and to be so kind to me? I am a Gentile. I heard everything that you did for your mother-in-law for your, and you refu- after the de- death of your husband, how you abandoned your home and came to join her and to stay with her and to be loyal to her. Yishalem Hashem Pa'alech May God, under whose sheltering wings you have come to seek shelter, repay you for your kindness. You have comforted me. Speaking so to the heart of your maidservant, would that I be only like one of your mates. I'm going to stop here for a moment. There's a couple of observations that stand out right at the beginning of this parak that are important for us to understand in terms of the dynamic of what's going on. We'll read the rest of the parak shortly. 
But there's an undercurrent in this story, in the conversations that are taking place between Boaz and the Nar HaOmedal HaKotzrim, let's call him his foreman, between Boaz and his foreman, between Boaz and Ruth, there's an undercurrent. An unspoken agenda or question. And that unspoken agenda or question is who or what is Ruth HaMoavia? Who is this Ruth HaMoavia? Now, Chazal in the Midrash, which I'm going to read with you in a moment, suggests to us something which on the face of it sounds very simple, somewhat obvious, or, or straightforward. We're going to spend the bulk of today's discussion, on the one hand, trying to understand the deeper meaning to this Midrash, perhaps even looking at the Pshat of the Parak to see if we may, for a moment, challenge Chazal's assertions and then come back to understand the deeper meaning of what Chazal was trying to say. In source number one, the Gemara in Shabbat says the following. Boaz turned to his foreman, who, to whom is this young lady? Because I were bothered by the by the question. What bothered them? Took the words out of my mouth. Right? He said, Boaz's behavior to seek to ask about every woman who comes into his field. The first words out of his mouth to his foreman, Lemia Narazot. This one. He points. This one. Who is she? To which Chazal answer? Amar Rabbi Elazar, Dvar Chochmara Abba. Shnei Shibolin Likta, Shlosha Shibolin Inalikta. He saw in her Dvar Chochma, wisdom, insight, observation that he wouldn't necessarily see, a behavior pattern that he doesn't see in the other poor who are gleaning in the fields. There is a halacha, it's a Mishnah in Peah, that as the harvesters are, are going through the field and they cut the wheat, that which falls from their hands is leket. If one stalk falls or two stalks fall, that's leket. If three or more fall, that belongs to the balabayit. If you take it, you're, 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 in, you're stealing, you're offering zeva. Says the Gemara, Boaz noticed that she was very careful in the mitzvah of leket, that she only took one or two stalks. If three or more fell, she left them and was very careful. Assuming for the moment that most other people who were poor and gleaning through the fields would not be as meticulous in the details of the halach. Where would Ruth have learned such chokhmah? Well, the answer on the face of it would be Naomi would have taught her. After all, in Perak Aleph, we saw the details of her conversion along the way. Your people are my people, your God is my God. 
I would assume that in that process of conversion, Naomi would have taught her all of the halachas of the Torah, including the mitzvah of Leket. And as she goes off to glean, Naomi would have instructed her in proper etiquette and said to her, one or two, but not more. Tvar Abba. Second opinion. He saw in her a manner of modesty. If the stalks were standing, she would harvest them standing. If they were lying on the ground, instead of bending over, which would be inappropriate, she would sit or crouch in such a way that she conducted herself in a manner that was always tsanua, always modest. In the context of farmers and gleaners and poor walking through the field who aren't necessarily so careful in these things. In other words, say Chazal, what caught Boaz's eye was the behavior of Ruth, the extraordinary wisdom, halachic insight, and modesty of Ruth. Dvar chokhmah, dvar tzniut. I want us to put this I want to put this midrash on the side for a moment, and we're going to come back to the, towards the end of the year today and test these two criteria in the text of the parak. But I want to raise a different question. Is it in fact the behavior of Ruth, the extraordinary behavior based on the conversion of Paragalif, that catches the eye of Boaz? Or perhaps, at least the way the parak seems to read, is it something else? So let's go back to the psukim where Boaz first shows up in the field. Pasuk Who is this woman? What is the what is the foreman saying to Boaz? In a word, who is she? A Moabite. That's all he says. Everything else is really a perish. Nara Moaviyai Astav Hashava Imnoami Misne Moav. He says it twice. She's a Moabite who's come back from Moab with Naomi, no less. And everybody knows who Naomi is. Naomi, just to remind us for a moment, Naomi is the wife of Elimelech. When Elimelech left so many years ago, Elimelech went to Eretz Moab. Into that sentence now put everything we said last year if you were here, which is that they've been at war with Moab for several hundred years, and particularly over the last 18 years, they've been at war with Moab. And the hunger, the famine in the land, was created by the war with Moab. And Elimelech's act of going to the land of Moab wasn't just about abandoning his people, it was an act of treason to join the land and the people of the enemy. And now that the war has been is over and Israel was victorious, now Naomi comes back with a Moabite in tow. So into that background, place the context 
into that background place the context of the relationship to Naomi. And the Na'ar says, Now there's a halachic ref- implication of what he says. Because matnot aniyim, leket shikhan are specifically for Jews. Non-Jews are not entitled. So yes, there's a Gzerad Rabbanan, there's a rabbinic decree later in history that says that they're entitled mipnei darkei shalom. But not at this point in time. And so when he says, when the foreman says to Boaz, she's a Moabite, what he's really saying is, she's not entitled to be here. And if he says she's not entitled to be here, I'm pretty sure that the rest of the people in the field, both the poor and the the harvesters, also felt that she's not entitled to be here. There's a textual proof to that assertion. Because Boaz says to her, I've instructed my people not to push you, not to touch you. Hestos, meaning implied. Now, up until that point, she was fighting with everybody in the field. In other words, when Boaz's foreman says to him, She's been here all day. What's the implication? Adon Boaz, it's time for you to sort this out. She's been there all day. She's not entitled. She's a Moabite. Get rid of her. Boaz comes to a quiet, orderly field. Every day he comes home. There's a sequence to the fields of Israel. There are the far- farmers and the harvesters and then there are Malakatim and the Narim and the Narot. And Boaz comes to a field that is typically very calm and orderly and he finds it ablaze. And so he says to his foreman, the, the focus of this of this fighting in the field and this all of this energy is one particular girl who's trying to glean and they're not letting her. And so I don't have to worry, I don't really need to ask the question, Matsadat Eno, what caught his attention? What caught his attention was the fact that a normal, orderly, quiet field was ablaze. Lamia Narazo. So I'm not sure why Chazal had to ask that question, but we'll come to that. As, as we'll come to the answer. But at the undercurrent of everything that's going on is the status of Ruth as a Jew or Moabite. The status of her conversion is at the centerpiece. Or I should say the acceptance of her conversion is at the centerpiece of this conversation. Not only is it the centerpiece of the conversation between Boaz and his foreman, it's at the center of the conversation between Boaz and Ruth. Take a look again at the Psukim we read. Pasuk Yud. Vatipol Paneva Tishtahu Arza Vatomarelav Madua Matsati Khembe Nechala Kireni Vanochi 
Why have you done this for me? I am but a Gentile. Now, okay, she doesn't say she's a Moabite. She says she's a Nochuya. That's what they've been accusing her of being all day long. Not entitled to be here. And Boaz's answer, now interestingly, before, I, before we go back and read it again, what logically should be Boaz's answer? Think, thinking halachically, thinking legalistically, what should Boaz's answer have been? You converted back in chapter 1. Right? Boaz could have easily, or should have said, wait a second, but we already read chapter 1. Chapter 1 is, But that's not what he says. Now whether he even knew about that conversation or not is under question. But what he says is, I know what you have done for Naomi. I've heard of your chesed. I've heard of the kindness. I've heard of the loyalty you have shown to your late husband, to the midst of Yibum, to the concept of Yibum, to the loyalty to Naomi. May God accept you. And when she responds to Boaz's comments, she changes her language. She no longer calls herself a Nochria. She calls herself your maidservant. Emtzachem ve'enecha adoni, ki nichantani, v'chidibarta alev and so at the centerpiece of that conversation is also Ruth's own status in her own eyes. Is she or isn't she accepted? So I want to digress for a moment to try to understand the broader context of the argument of the, around the status of Ruth's conversion. Chazal put the story of the conversation about the status of Lutz conversion into halachic terms. In the Midrashic language, they place it into the context of the conversation between Shaul HaMelech and Avner and Gadomi, if you're familiar with the Gemara in Yivamot, it's source number three, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But essentially, at the heart of the conversation is an interpretation of the Psukim in Chumash, and Sefer Dvarim, but the status of the prohibition against accepting converts from Moab. So beyond the question as to whether or not her conversion was sincere, whether she learned everything that she was supposed to learn, whether there was a Bezdin along the way, leaving all the halachic issues related to conversion aside, it's a core question. A question that will follow the lineage of David and Melech for the, for, for the, and the, Really, David Shlomo is the status of converts from Moab. So let's take a brief look at the Midrash, or the Gemara in Masechet Yivamot, source number three. We're not going to go through the whole thing. I'm less interested in the context in which Chazal put this conversation as I am in the conclusion. Shaul, when he first meets David, asks the question, Ben Mi Zehana'ar, who is this young man, who is this man, who is David? 
To which the Oyg says to him in the second paragraph, "Achita mashila lavi magunu lemachutim lav shaala lavi meruoi lavoba kahalim lav." You're questioning whether or not he is from Zerah, from Peretz, whether he is a threat to your kingdom. Ask whether he's legitimate. Ask whether he's technically Jewish. After all, he comes from Brutamovia. To which Avner responds and says, but wait a second, we have a halacha that says, Amoni, Velo Amonit, Moavit, Velo Moavit. We have a halacha that says that when the Torah says, Lo Yavom Amoni, Moavit, Bekalashem, that nobody from Moab or Ammon can convert, can be accepted into the congregation of God. They are referring specifically to the males and not to the females. To which Doeg responds and says, If you're going to make that application, then the same linguistic deal could be made about the phrase, namely, says, Avner, wait a second, Mamzer is a combination of Mumzar, meaning it's a blemish that's internal, that's intrinsic, and therefore it doesn't matter whether it is male or female. Says Doeg, wait a second, Mitzri v'lo Mitzrit. Well, okay, so let's talk about an Egyptian. There is a prohibition against an Egyptian for three generations. Maybe that too should only be male and not female. Says Avner, wait a second, by Amon and Moab, it's not just a prohibition because it says Lo Yavob The Torah gives us a reason. And the reason is, Because they were inhospitable to us when we left Egypt and they didn't come and greet us with bread and water. Says Avner, That assertion I can only make about the men, I can't make about the women. Why? Because it would have been normal for the men to come and greet us with bread and water. It would not have been normal. It would not have been an expectation of the women to come out and greet us with bread and water. It would have not. It would not have been particularly appropriate. It would not have been. Would not have been senua. To which Doeg responds and says, I don't understand. Men can greet men, and women can greet the women. Ishtik. To that, Avner had no response. So there's a whole discussion that goes on later in the Beit Midrash. And finally, they come to the following conclusion. Uh, the last paragraph. Amasab ben Ishu Shmo Yitra Yisraeli. Pasuk says in Divrayamim, Yitra Yishmaeli, Amarava, Malamed, Shechiger, Charbo, Kishmael, Vyamar, Kol Mi Sheno Shame Aracha Zu Ida Ker Bacherev. Says, By this sword, you accept this halacha. I have a tradition from the Beit Midrash of Shmuel Aramati, author of Megillat Ruth, by the way. I what about the question that was asked to which Ishtik, right? namely that I can still have expected the hospitality of the women of Moab because the men should have greeted the men, the women should have come to the women. To which the Gemara says, Basic foundation of all of Jewish, of the laws of modesty for women in Jewish law, 
I would not have expected the Moabite women to come greeting us with lechem umay. That's the Gemara as it stands. What's at the heart of this discussion? So the heart of this discussion, and without getting into the halachic pilpul of the Gemara, so the heart of this discussion is actually a very textual problem. And to understand it, I want to go back to the psukim in Dvarim, in which we find the prohibition against accepting converts from Moab. And I'll put this conversation into a textual context, and it'll be much easier to understand. So in source number four, you have the psukim from Sefer Dvarim, Parakhav Gimel. Lo yavo mamzer bikal Hashem. Gam dor asiri lo yavo lo bikal Hashem. No mamzer can be accepted into the congregation of God, meaning they're Jewish. But they cannot marry a non-mamzer, as we understand the interpretation. Pasuk Gimel. I start from a mamzer, you'll see why in a moment. Pasuk Dalit. Nor can an Ammoni or Moavi enter into the congregation of God for eternity. Why? Because they didn't bring you bread and water, they weren't nice. And because they tried to kill you. Let me do that again. Because they weren't nice to you and not hospitable, and because they tried to kill you. So, the chuckle, I think, reflects an intuitive problem with this verse, which isn't really our discussion or focus of our discussion, but I'll mention it in brief and in passing. It should be the other way around. Agreed? They tried to kill you is the core of it. They tried to hire Bilaam to curse you, to destroy you. Compared to that, why does Asher Lokid Motcha Melech Vamayim even stand even there in the Pasuk? So it's important, I think, to understand the context of this statement, Lo Yavo B'Kal Hashem, because Asher Lokid Motcha Melech Vamayim. We need to understand who Ammon and Moab are. Ammon and Moab are the children born to Lot and his daughters, the last survivors of the city of Sodom. And we know what Sodom was. And the description of the evil of Sodom and all the stories about their the concept of inhospitality taken to the extreme of absolute cruelty. Just briefly, I put on the on the source page, sources 7 and 8, two psukim from a pasuk from Zichezkel, a pasuk from Tzvanya, Inei Zeaya Avon Zdom Achotech, Gon Silat Lechem Mishabat Ashket, Hayala Velivnotea Viyad Ani Vevion Lo Echazika, the iniquity of Zdom and the iniquity of Amorah the arrogance of them having bread and not sharing it with the impoverished. Yad Ani Ve'ev Yad But moreover, in 
the in source eight, the pasuk in Sanya, where the Navi compares Kimoav Kisdomti Yehuvne Amon Ka'amora. The understanding that Ammon and Moab are des- direct descendants of the lineage of Sodom and Amor. To put it simply, to put it into context, we look at anti-Semitism today in Europe and in Germany very differently than we look at anti-Semitism anywhere else in the world. That was the issue with Ammon and Moab. And the question as to whether or not the descendants of Ammon and Moab would continue the legacy of Sodom from so many generations ago. Were Ammon and Moab going to be the restart, the reboot of the modern Sodom Vamor? Every nation at that time wanted to try to destroy us. History hasn't changed. <laughs> puts them into the same category as every other nation in the world. But puts them into the category of the continuity of Sodom Vamora, and that's very different. Skip down a few psukim, and you come to Pasuk Chet. Lo adomi, do not start up with Edom, for they are your brothers. Nor can you fight with with the Mitzvim, for they were you were strangers in their land, you were visitors in their land. In quotation marks. Three generations later you can accept converts from Mitzrayim or Edom. At the heart of the conversation in the Gemara in Yivamot is a very simple textual question in this passage in the Torah. Namely, from the vantage point of the substance of these two passages, would I compare Ammon and Moab to the parsha of the Mamzer who comes before it, or Edom and Mitzrayim that come after it. Sandwiched in between the prohibition of a marrying a Mamzer and the prohibition against accepting converts from Edom and Mitzrayim stands the prohibition against converts from Ammon and Moab. From a perspective of the substance of the parsha. Ammon and Moab are more comparable to the prohibition of Edom and Mitzrayim or to the prohibition of Amamza. From the perspective of the content of the parsha, it would seem that they are more comparable to Edom and Mitzrayim. By Edom and Mitzrayim are nations. Ammon and Moab are nations. Mamza is a lineage issue. We'll come to that in a second. That's a stylistic question, but I'm going to come to that in a second. But from a, from a content point of view, the prohibition of Ammon and Moab is given a reason. The prohibition of Adam and Mitzrayim is given a reason. Mamza, there's no reason given. Because it's in the core, it's in the Mahut, it's a Munzah. On the other hand, as correctly pointed out, the language that is used is exactly the same language as used by the Mamza. 
In other words, the real question here is why is Ammon and Moab excluded from the nation of Israel? Is it because Ammon and Moab are descendants from Lot and his daughters, an act of incense, and their and their incest, and therefore they are mamzerim, and therefore prohibited, and wouldn't make a difference, men or women? Or are they prohibited because they're in hospitality? They're the continuity of Ed, of Sodom and Amorah. And if they're the in, they're, if they're the reincarnation, if you will, or the continuity, or the or, or the 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 act of Yibum, if you will, of of Sodom and Amorah, then the question becomes, as the Gemara describes it, is the inhospitality of Ammon and Moab ingrained in the nation amongst the men and the women, or only the men? Follow the question? That's essentially what the conclusion of the Gemara was. Kol kvodabat melech pnima. You need to understand that we're dealing not with a mumzar, it's not a mamzeris issue, says the Gemara, but rather it's a function of hospitality. Chesed. So they didn't, so nobody came from Ammon and Moab. I can blame the men, can I blame the women? Why did the women not come out to greet us? Because they are also cruel and continuing the legacy of Stomvamora, or because they are modest? That's the question. That was the question at the time of David Amalek as it is described in the Gemara. Now, here's the problem. How do you resolve such a question? Because you're trying to imply or derive an understanding from something which occurred, or by, more, more accurately, by, from something which did not occur. And so the question is a historical question. There's a remarkable comment, I think I even put it on the... Medrash in Source 6, remarkable comment. Says Baaz to Ruth that you would come yesterday or the day before, you would not be accepted as a convert. Your arrival was particularly timely. Why? Because we hadn't yet accepted this halacha. This halacha was only taught this morning in the Beit Midrash. In the language of the Gemara, And so Ruth arrived exactly on the right day, because the day before they didn't know this halacha. That morning they taught in the base Medrash, they learned this halacha. What is the Medrash really suggesting? What I was really suggesting is not that they taught that it happened to be that it happened to be that that morning they learned in the base medrash. What the Gemara is suggesting is that for centuries there was an open question about the status of Moabite women. All the issues we've had with Moab, the war with Moab, the argument with Melech Moab, the, all the way back to Bilam, all the way back to Lekid Mutlechem Uvamayim 
has always been with the male population of Moab, the war with the soldiers, the army of Moab. We don't know anything about the women of Moab. And so we have an open question mark. Midian, maybe. Midian, it's not clear. Not Midian. Root is the precedent. Right. And so that's essentially what's going on here. What's going on here is essentially the question of looking for a historical precedent to indicate the character of the people of Moab. Now, true, it's only one case. But that case is enough, is so powerful in her chesed, in her kindness, in her loyalty to Naomi and to the family, that it's enough in Boaz's eyes to be enough of a historical precedent to establish the principle. She, as a balat chesed, her chesed, is so powerful, her loyalty is so significant that he's willing to, on the basis of that, be, of that act of chesed, determine that the Moabite women were not excluded because you cannot say about them that they're the continuity of it just doesn't work. Take it one step further. Compare in the back of your minds the loyalty of Ruth and the chesed of Ruth to the behavior of the people of Beit Lechem. I want to talk about Bnei Yisrael by Shanim Rechmanim, Chasadim, Gemilat Chesed. I want to say that Moab can't be included in the congregation of the Lord. I exclude Moab, Loyavob, Kavashem, because they're inhospitable, because they're anti Chesed. Let's take a look at the people of Bedlachim. Naomi comes back, and everybody's standing there when Naomi arrives. And proclaim, Hazot Naomi. And Naomi has a conversation with them in which she regrets and she tears out her heart and how bitter her life has been and how, and, and how difficult it's been. Bitter, hard, I went full, I came back empty, empty in terms of family, empty in terms of possessions, she came back a pauper. Chapter later, and Ruth has to go glean the fields to bring food to Naomi. And you have to ask yourself, where are the people of Bethlehem? Where are all those people who stood around when Naomi, who according to everything we understand, both in terms of the status of Elimelech and beginning of Parakalaf, as well as the Midrashe Chazal about who he was, right, you're dealing with the the, a, the statesmen of the, of the community. They're all standing around, they all know how to proclaim shock that this Naomi has returned. And not one of them picks up a finger to help Naomi, to bring her food, they all stand around when Ruth comes walking through the fields to glean for Naomi. They know who she is. Clearly they know who she is. And not one of them is prepared to allow Ruth, the 
space to glean some food so that Naomi should have some food on her table? So compare the loyalty and the chesed of Ruth to the behavior of the people of Bethlehem. That's enough for Boaz. To say to her, who gave godly, at kol asher asit et chamotech, achrei moti shech, v'tazvi avich v'imech, v'eret moladatech, v'telchi olam asher lo yadat, moshul shom yishalem Hashem pa'alach, l'tim askortech shlemami, Hashem asher alokei yisrael, asher ba'at lachasot tachat knafav. I accept you. Why? Because your chesed tops them all. And it's enough to override the question of the status of Amanamov for generations. And that, I think, is at the core of the story of Ruth in the field of Boaz. The status of her acceptance, either as a Moabite or as a Jew. And the impact that her chesed has had on her status. All of this is our introduction. <laughs> because now I want to come back to the core question to start with which I started. Chazal and the Gemara and Shabbos raise a remarkable question. What caught his attention? Now, from the reading of the parak, what caught his attention was right, the, the tumult in the field because they did, weren't letting her glean. Kamalang Chazal and suggest that what caught his attention is two characteristics of Moab, uh, sorry, two characteristics of Ruth that were extraordinary. Chokhmah and its niut. She knew the halach of one or two stalks, but not more, and she knew how to behave in a way that was modest. So, with your permission, with or without your permission, with your permission, I'd like to test these two statements. I heard this many years ago from Mariv Rabbi Rav Medan. It's actually written in his Sefer on Megillat Rut. It's a remarkable observation. Let's test them one at a time. Let's start from Chochmah. The assertion is that she could only have gleaned one or two stalks of wheat at a time. And not more. How much would you collect in the course of a day when there are many gleanings? Remember, there's, there's Kotsrim and there's Narim. And there's the, the, there's a whole etiquette to the fields of Israel. And so you're not the only one gleaning in the field. How much would you collect in the course of a day amongst all those who are gleaning when all you're allowed to pick up is one or two stalks that fall? A lot, a little, a handful. Let's let's take a look. Starting from the beginning of the parak, and here we're going to. I didn't read the second half of the parak. I'm going to in a moment, but let's take a look first at the uh, the conversations. It starts in pasuk bet. She says to Naomi, "Let me go to the field and collect amongst the sheaves of wheat." When the foreman describes her behavior, Vatomer, Alakatana, 
ואספתי באומרים אחרי הקוצרים. So she says, I want to collect. She comes into the field and she starts collecting omarim. What's an omer? So there's two words. An omer means one of two things. An omer is a measurement. By the man, we say omer la gilgolet. Omarim are also piles. Okay? Piles. Which is related to the midst of shikha. Vasafti ba omarim. Then, as we read a little bit later, after Boaz says to her she, that she should stay in this field and that he's commanded his people not to harm her, not to touch her, Pasuk Yud Dalid, Bayomar la Boaz comes to mealtime. Goshi alom balacht min halach veachalt min halachem betavalt pitech bachometz. Come and eat. Ateshe mitzada kotzrim. She sits down next to the kotzrim. Veitzbat lakali vetochavat isbavatotah. Atakom the lakech. She got up. She got up to go and glean again. Pasuk tevav. Veitzav boaz et narav lemor. Gam ben omarim tilakech vilotach limor. You know what? If she gleans amongst the Omarim, let her go. Omarim are the piles. It's not time for gleaning amongst the piles. We're in the midst of Leket. Shikha comes, comes later. It's a later, seasonally, a later stage of the game. First you do Leket, you harvest, then you make the piles, and then you gather into the, in, into your, into your silos. We're not there yet. But if she goes to glean amongst the Omarim, Lotachlimua. Don't embarrass her. Let her go. And how much does she end up collecting? An eifa is ten omarim. An omer is the amount of food on average for one person for a day. We'll learn that from the, from the man. An eifa is uh, Omer is Asirita Ifa. So Omer is ten uh, Ifa is ten Omerim. Meaning she walked out of there with enough food to feed ten people. She walked out with a truckload. Think about how much flour needs to can be made how much wheat you need to make flour equivalent to ten portions, daily portions ten people. She walks out with a truckload. What happened? What happened is very simple. She's a Moabite. What does she know from the etiquette of the fields of Israel? She walks into a field and she sees a bunch of people walking around, gleaning, taking what they want. So she joins the Malaktavashivalim. So instead of taking one stock or two stocks, she grabbed whole piles of wheat. And they started to push her and they started to say, you're not entitled. And they fought with her and she said, but everybody else is taking. She says, no, they're not. They're taking a stalk or two with me. You can't take piles of wheat. And she says, no, I want, I need, I need for my mother-in-law. We're starving. And the field is ablaze. 
until Boaz comes, and the foreman turns to Boaz and says, Adon Boaz, she's gathering amongst the, 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 the pile, she's not even amongst the gleaners. And Boaz turns to his people, and instead of saying, instead of throwing her out, he says, she can do what she wants. She's special. So much for the Chochmah. Now you want to test the Tzniut? So I'm going to read the rest of the parak. But as I read the rest of the parak, I want to pay careful attention to one, to, to, to the following observation. In the fields of Israel, there is a subtle separation between the gleaners who are men and the gleaners who are women. Basic etiquette in the fields of Israel. Co-ed gleaning they didn't have. There are Nearim and there are Nearot. There are no kotzrot. I assume all the farmers, the, the, the kotzrim, are all men. But the gleaners are narim and narot. As I read the parak, listen carefully to the genders as they are mentioned by the different players in the story. Starting back from the beginning, I'm going to skip, but we're going to start from the beginning. Pasuk. Let's go back to Pasuk. Vayan enar anitzava lekotzim. Vayomar nara moaviyai yeshavim nomim iste moav. Vatomer she came and she said, Alakatana vaasafti baomarim achareha kotzim. I'm gonna go and glean together with all the kotzim. And the kotzim are all men. So not only is she grabbing more than she's entitled to, this poor woman is in where she doesn't belong. <coughs> oh, that's that, that, that that's what we're trying to... That's exactly the point. Is that I'm trying to test exactly what Chazal meant, because the pshat of the parak, what I'm, what I'm arguing or I'm suggesting to you, which is a little bit controversial, but that's okay, we'll sort it out at the end, is that the parak seems to imply the exact opposite. Both in the world of Chochmah, and now we're going to see in the world of, the, of Tzniut. V'tamoz v'yad aboke v'yadata zeshivta bait mat, she won't sit down. Ever see, ever been to the Kotel in a moment where a tourist who doesn't really understand the etiquette of the Kotel happens to walk into the wrong side of the Kotel? And everybody jumps? That's exactly what happened to her. Poor girl. So Boaz turns and says, Boaz al-Rut. Now listen carefully. Hello Shamat Biti. Don't go elsewhere. You stay here. And he says to her very subtly, You stay here together with the Na'avot, with the girls. Because she's in the wrong place. Now, he can let her stay, but he's got to sort out the fact that she's in the wrong place. 
Go after them, the Na'arot. There's Na'arim and there's Na'arot. You stick with the Na'arot, but know this. I, you, are, you are protected. The Na'arim will no longer touch you. Because I have so instructed them. If you're thirsty, the Narim will give you water. So she falls on her face, she's very moved by the tradition, by the kindness, by the response, and Boaz explains himself by saying exactly what we said before. Skip down a little bit and go to Pasuk Tetvav. Vayetzav Boaz et na'arav lemor gam ben ha'omarim telaket v'lotach limoa. Boaz instructs his na'arim not to touch her. And a little bit more than that, v'gam yishol tasholu laminatzvatim. Go and throw some extras to her. Leave her a little bit extra. Vatilaket basadada arev, she cleans all day long. She comes home. And now listen to the conversation at home. Mother in law comes out and sees what she has gleaned. Now, there's a norm to gleaning. You go into a field, you glean, you glean a handful of, of wheat, you glean a couple of stalks here and there. She comes home with a truckload. And that's after she ate for herself. Now you understand Naomi's reaction. Where did you go? She doesn't even know who it is. But all she knows is that nobody, nobody, has ever gleaned that much in the fields of Israel. So she says, I came to a field, and this guy by the name of Boaz, he was so nice to me. God is with us. God is paying our back the kindness. Paying kindness both to the living and to the deceased. This Boaz is a relative. He could be our savior. He could redeem our field. He could bring us back land. And now she relates to her mother-in-law the conversation she had with Boaz. Listen to how she processed what Boaz told her. He told me to hang out with the Na'arim. Now that's not what he said. What did he say? She doesn't even process it. She doesn't hear it. She's a Moabite. What is she going to understand of the etiquette of the fields of Israel? She can't even process that there's a difference. To which Naomi 
responds and says, Vatomeno amilvut kalata tov biti ki tetsi im na'arotav. Naomi picked it up. And Naomi says to her, my dear Ruth, let me teach you something about the etiquette of the fields of Israel. Lest some, you end up in another field and things aren't quite as... And she processes. Finally, she gets it. And she goes with the Na'arot. I look at this parak, and in the pshat of this parak, in the behavior of Ruth in this field, there is anything but Chochman's newt. There is a Moabite running amok amongst the, amongst the gleaners and the harvesters and doesn't know the first thing about the etiquette of Israel, doesn't know the first thing about Sneus of Israel, doesn't know the first thing about the laws of Israel. Ask what about our conversion? And what about the law, the, the, the mitzvot kalot, the mitzvot chamorot she was supposed to learn? She knows nothing. She's with the narim, instead of the narim, she can't even hear the process, the difference, and this, the distinction. She doesn't understand the first mitzvah, the first law of Lakat. She just sees everybody gleaning, she grabs what she can. And they come to Boaz and they say, Boaz, sort this out for us. You know what Boaz does? He sorts it out. Nobody touches her. She can do whatever she wants in this field. And now I come back to the Gemara with which we started. What caught his eye? So what caught his eye initially was the tumult in the field. But once the foreman says to him, this is that Moabite root, he puts it all together. And he turns to her and he says, you know what? My dear root, I don't know about Chochmah, your Chochmah, and I don't know about your Tzniut. But I do know about your Chesed. And your Chesed trumps them all. It trumps the people of Beit Lechem. It trumps the history of Moab throughout the generations. And I'm willing to look at your chesed and in your chesed to see the chokhmah and tzni'ut. The chokhmah of her loyalty to Naomi and her loyalty to the mitzvah and to the concept of yibum and to the loyalty to the family and the willingness to join with the family of Naomi, even if it meant remaining single to the end of her life. Because who's going to marry her? And it's Niut, the modesty, not to pursue a life of her own, but to devote her entire life to protecting and providing for her mother-in-law, for Naomi. That chesed was all the chokhmah and tzni'ut that she, that Boaz needed to see. And everybody else in the field is looking with their eyes and seeing a Moabite who doesn't understand the first thing of the etiquette of Israel. Come along Chazal and suggest that Boaz saw with an insight 
that nobody else could see. Boaz could see the chokhmah and sniut that nobody else could discern. Because Boaz was willing to look past the superficial and the behavior and to see the core of the chesed of Ruth. And that's why Dvar Chochmah and Dvar Tzniyut were Abba. What he saw was a different kind of Chochmah and Tzniyut. That's the deeper meaning of the Midrash Chazal. And why this Midrash, while it stands so in, in opposite of the text of the Perak, I think in truth cuts to the core of the heart of the message of the Perak that Boaz saw in Ruth of the Chesed and it was all that he needed to see.